Welcome to the Financial Detox Podcast, a show that's dedicated to helping you retire with confidence. I'm your host, Jason Labram, Certified Financial Planner and Founder of Labram Wealth Management. For over 20 years, I've showed people how to steer clear of toxic advice, achieve financial peace of mind, and manage their wealth for maximum impact. And now, I want to empower you to do the same. Join me and my co-host, Alex Klingensmith, every other week as we simplify the complex, share industry secrets, and provide proven strategies that will take you from financial insecurity to financial independence. Hey, this is Jason Labrum with Financial Detox here for you live with my man, Kent Colwell. What's up, Kent? Hey. Welcome to the podcast. I'm glad to be here, Jason. We're talking about 401ks today, and that's why we brought in 20-year veteran, Dr. Kent Colwell. He's not really a doctor, but my dad is. Your dad is. There you go. It counts. Talking about your dad. Is his name Kent? Keith. Uh. We're keeping it in the case. Yeah, that's right. Right on. Well, welcome to the show. We are um, going to talk to you guys about 401ks. We're going to talk about 401ks because it is becoming a bigger and bigger part of people's retirement. It's an important decision that is being made for by plan sponsors and company owners and business owners. And we do a lot of 401ks through the financial detox team, the labor wealth management. We manage them, we build them, we work with, uh, the plan sponsors to come up with education plans for their employees and all kinds of things. And we see similar to the individual investment arena and the private client investment area, we see a lot of deficiencies and problems with 401k plans. Oh yeah. And we got to talk about them. So what I want to do is make this short, awesome podcast, 25, 30 minutes Really, you know, I want to walk away with some information, Kent, that if I'm a plan sponsor, I can make better decisions about my 401k because of hearing the financial detox team of labor and wealth management go for it. So you came up or had this study that was kind of interesting, a new study that had a bunch of data on it. Why don't we start there and talk about kind of what that was, give us a brief of the study, what it was, and then we'll... Um, talk about yeah it's it's an annual study uh, done by fidelity it's called the plan sponsor attitude survey it's been this is the ninth year in a row that they've done it so it's interesting to watch the trends and track and see what's important to plan sponsors and how that changes over time and i think one of the interesting things is is that fiduciary is always going to be important it's super important always has been but i think a lot of plan sponsors have been working uh, to get that button down. And so a lot of them have that done. Now, certainly not everybody does. There's there's always going to be folks that need work on that. Yep. But the kind of the, the trend that showed up in the survey that's uh, number one now is plan design for better outcomes. So it's really focused on the participant, the employee. And you know, the really big question is, are they going to be able to retire? So that's so, just the goal so, of the plan. So this study is a is a study of a lot of plan sponsors. So we're mm-hmm. we're telling plan sponsors what other plan sponsors are saying and or thinking. And if I hear you correctly, the focus has shifted from what what was recently fiduciary, meaning am I doing the right thing for my participants? Because I do have as a plan sponsor fiduciary liability associated with the plan. I have to do what's in the best interest for my employees and participants, but it shifted from that to this outcome and results. And are my participants on track to actually achieve their desired results? That's correct. It was about 
a little more than a thousand employers were surveyed in this in all sizes, from ones that had plans under 25 million to ones that had plans over 250 million. So it covers the broad spectrum of all plan sizes. What I think is interesting is the word fiduciary in general. We've seen that change within our own business, right? Because I'm so disappointed with the word and how it's being used. In our radio show, Financial Detox, and on the podcast and, and with clients and prospective clients, we've talked about that a lot because what it means, which most people aren't quite sure what it means, is that your advisor or your plan sponsor, your company, you as a business owner have a responsibility to do what is in someone else's best interest, which means the only way you can do that is if you literally put them first, mm-hmm. do what's right for them, and you also must disclose to them how you're being paid, any conflicts of interest that exist, maybe why the arrangement is not best for them. So you have to disclose that. And in the private practice for individuals, I've seen so many folks who call themselves fiduciaries, but yet they're insurance-only licensed people. So they sell only insurance to every person they see, whether it's right or wrong, they sell insurance. And they call themselves fiduciaries. They do not disclose the conflicts of interest and the compensation, but yet they're using the word fiduciary. So I almost think that maybe that's part of the way or part of the reason plan sponsors have went away from fiduciary or they've moved on because there's too much inconsistency in the term and nobody knows what the heck it means anyway. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're onto something there. That is absolutely true. There's a lot of confusion over it. And and a lot of um, brokers who are not fiduciary want to come across as they are because they're at a disadvantage. And so there's from a marketing perspective, they're kind of tweaking things to make it look like they're an advisor. And in fact, the the security, the regulators, the government has kind of clued into that. And they're coming up with some proposed changes in the regulations so that those people can no longer use the term advisor, which would be really nice. They'll have to stick with the term broker. Yeah, right. That would be awesome, right? Because there's something like 200 different potential titles for a financial advisor, financial consultant, investment advisor, investment consultant. In reality, there is a massive difference between a broker, somebody who sells product to you, which comes from a platform that they can sell, or somebody who serves you as a true advisor or consultant. There is a major difference. And the words have been totally misused. I mean, even in the, not to kick a dead horse, but even in our private practice, we've seen clients who are coming from what we know is an absolute non fiduciary. And they say, well, I went and asked my, my advisor, quote unquote, are you a fiduciary? And he said, yes. Mm -hmm. And I said, so he either is lying, he or she, or just is ignorant, doesn't know. Either way, it's not a good situation. So, all right, moving on. So participants can't, well, hey, no, I'm not moving on. I am going to kick the dead horse. So what we go further than fiduciary and talk about a full disclosure advisor, somebody who not only will be a fiduciary, and legally bound themselves to that, acting in your best interest. But they will also certify that they are disclosing every bit of compensation they or their firm receives. That's a pretty big deal because you can't fluff that one. You either disclose it or you don't. Yeah. And that's also been a challenge, I think, in the sense that um, the regulators didn't really come up with a set format of how to disclose right, that. because they tried. You said regulators yeah. are coming out with proposed fiduciary, but they already tried and it got shot down. Right. Trump X'd it which he should have probably because it was a disaster rule, which wasn't going to help anybody. But then you also have the big lobbying organizations of the 
big financial behemoth companies you see out there who are operating under a very conflicted standpoint. And they last thing they want to see is that they have to start disclosing all the money they've been making on different ways that the clients didn't know about. Yeah, that fee disclosure regulation came out in 2012. And and I don't know if you've happened to look at yours, plan sponsor, but some of them are super long and super full of just jargon. And it's really, even though they have Impossible a fee disclosure, to read. it's hard to figure out what the heck your fee is. It's like us reading a legal contract yeah. and trying to understand all the different subparagraphs, section A, subparagraph B, subpart C, 421. I mean, what? So technically, they're disclosing it, but do people really even know what it is still? Nope, they don't. So the shift has now been to, I am going to leave, but we're going forward here. Let's march forward. So the shift has been to the thought process, which I think is great, is what are the results your employees are getting out of the plan. What was the specific terminology used in here? I can't see this font. It's too small for me. (laughs) (laughs) What did you, it was a a shift in focus focus back to. Participant outcomes, I think is one of the terms. Okay. Participant outcomes. Right. So, I mean, you know, you think about it a lot of times in committee meetings, what's the focus on? Well, what's the return of the funds and what's the, um, how are things doing in terms of that? And that, that's great. That, I mean, that's always certainly important, but you could have the best performing fund in the world. And if people aren't saving enough money for retirement, it doesn't matter. So the reality is what are they doing? What are the participants, the employees doing in order to stay on track? And do they know if they're on track? Does the employer know if their employees are on track? That's really where the focus is today is to say, Hey, what is your plan health? That's kind of a buzzword these days. Mm-hmm. Are measuring your employees based on their deferral rates, their balances, and their their time until retirement, are they on track? And a lot of record keepers now today, providers of 401k plans will provide a score to show how well you're doing. And I think the question is, is you know, do you understand how that works? Do you understand the score? And what does that come back to? That comes back to educating participants, right? Sure. And in my book, Financial Detox, we talk a lot about the difference between investing in in the markets and harnessing the power of those markets versus making behavioral mistakes and behavioral blunders, as we call them in the book. And, And what happens, unfortunately, in a lot of 401k plans is the education is maybe done once a year. Most of the prospective 401k plans we see education is not being done. But also from a business owner standpoint, it's really difficult. You got to pull all of your employees away from the work they're supposed to be doing and have this meeting. Well, what if you have employees in different locations like we do? You don't just pull everybody into a meeting. So we're working on some really great things and have done this already as far as micro learning videos Mm -hmm. that are webinars with a live human teaching that people can ask questions if they want, or they can call after and ask questions and, you know, tidbits, small information. So three to five minutes, two to three minutes, you get some information, you get educated. But the fact of the matter is participant outcomes is what you mentioned, Kent, and participant outcomes are not looking good because participants Mm. are not saving enough money, right? That is true. Or am I wrong on that? No, no. On the whole, the United States has a savings crisis. There are, there are people in America in general are not saving enough to be living at the standard of living that they want to in retirement. So can the 401k be a solution for that? 
Absolutely. I mean, it is the number one savings vehicle for people today right. uh, in America. The 401k is their number one pot of money. But one, two, three percent deferral rate is just not enough. No, you know, that was, I think, uh, you know, back in 2006, the Pension Protection Act is the thing that came out with automatic enrollment. And in the regulation, they said something about three percent. And then it, a lot of that was just adapted. And unfortunately, as you know, 3% is nowhere near enough for people to So retire. how much should your participants or participants in a 401k plan or so, how much should we be saving? Yeah, the rule of thumb is, is that employees need to save 15% of their income over their career. Now, that includes their deferral plus any match from the employer that they get, but 15%. So that's, you know, that's a sizable number and long ways away from 3%. Right. And those numbers are derived from taking an average career, average uh, lifespan of earnings, the savings rate, plus a reasonable return on that savings rate, and then being able to supplement your retirement with your portfolio, right? Because the portfolio turns into it. So it's not happening, but the focus is shifting towards that. Mm-hmm. And I think we've shifted to that a long time ago with right. our whole behavioral finance and talking and right. thinking about how to achieve returns and getting people out of the way, participants out of the way, so they don't go in and change their 401k when times when there's new headlines that are scary. Because how many participants have you seen? I know I've seen tons that I've talked to and they say, yeah, in 2008 and early 2009, I was sick of seeing my balances go down. And so I went in and put everything in cash and I just was going to wait till things get better. And then about 2016, they got back in the market. Yeah, right. right? And not, not good. But that happens all the time. Yep. So the education, again, shouldn't be just on the front end. Here are your choices. But it it has to be much bigger. It has to be a continued drip of education upon participants. I love the idea of participants watching a two to three minute video and answering one to two questions to show they they watched that video and they gained the knowledge. From an employer standpoint, that is a huge checkbox for that you're doing your part in educating and and helping participants. And also it really is going to help participants. And, you know, I think from an employer standpoint, we can't discriminate against age. We don't want to, but older employees are expensive, more expensive. So you want to help people in your workforce retire at the right age, right? Because it gets more expensive to have older employees. So not that you're not, you're trying to discriminate against older employees. You're not at all. You want to help people, and the good thing that comes back to you when you help others is that it probably lowers your cost and your sure you know, all your payroll costs. Yeah, whatnot. So yep. do the right thing, and it and it comes back in uh, spades for the employer as well. Right. So how are we going to encapsulate this and make a difference? What else was in this report that you think is worth talking about? Is there anything else uh, in here that we could derive? Gosh, there's all kinds of goodies. I mean, one one thing that I found was interesting is that if you remember back in 2008. A lot of employers were under financial stress, and right. a lot of them eliminated their match. So matches, uh, one thing that a lot of employers are considering right now is enhancing their match. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, maybe we should up the match, attract more people into the plan, or retain those employees that we're trying to get out and hire. And as you know, it's a tight labor market yep. right now. How can we Good become point. more attractive? And as you know, there's been the concept of the stretch match, which is a way to enhance your match to get people to contribute more of their own money into the plan. So there's a lot of cool plan design 
uh, changes around the match that are being discussed right now. So there's two things that you just mentioned that I think are worth diving in on. All right, if you're a business owner or a plan sponsor, how you design the plan can have a major impact Huge. on number one, helping your participants, but number two, helping you as a business retain those key employees, help your employees retire when in the right time at a proper retirement age. And so some of the things, one of the plan design features you just said, which I talk a lot about with, we talk a lot about with clients is taking that match, you know, instead of doing a dollar for dollar match up to 2% or, or a 50 cents on the dollar to 4%, stretch that out and bring the match up to 10%. So maybe do a 15 cents on the dollar up to 10% or a 20 mm-hmm. cents up to 8 so that participants start seeing and thinking about contributing 8, 10, 12, 15% of their income because that's what they need to get to retirement anyway. And I think you mentioned it earlier, Kent, is like the, the regulation on automatic contributions came out right. and they literally mentioned 3% as a good, that's just terrible because it doesn't, right. it doesn't work. It's not enough. Not now even. it's better than zero, <laughs> right? Yes. I mean, do something start and work your way in. I love the idea too of having education around tell participants, you know, to help participants get where they can contribute what they can. But then as they get a raise, every time they get a raise, take 50% of that raise, put it towards your future and your 401k and you could, um, you'll do a lot better. And and the automatic increases have been, that's something that kind of lagged behind the automatic enrollment, automatic enrollment sort of preceded, but a lot of plans have been adding the automatic increases now. And not only that, they're increasing to higher amounts could be 10 or 15% when you include the employer contribution into that. But the big problem with these auto contribution and auto increases, there is a problem. Yep. If you are not on your game and on top of your plan and your payroll, when the time comes and you've said, we're going to have an auto increase right. and then you don't, or we're right. going to have an auto contribution and you don't, this is where your plan document needs to say and do what your plan, your plan actions need to represent the plan document. If they don't, you really are exposing yourself to some risk. Excellent point. That's a critical point. Yeah. There is more work with automatic enrollment and automatic escalation for your payroll people primarily to determine eligibility and make sure that those people get in. So it's, it is a great, so long as you have the process in place and there's discipline around it. There is. So I think people, you know, you need to think about that. And I think there's other plan design options that accomplish the same thing and other education strategies where you can accomplish the same thing without subjecting yourself to that kind of stringent rules you got to be in, in bounds on all the time. What else? Well, you know, to kind of toot our own horn a little bit here, as you know, we are consultants and advisors to employers and plan sponsors as well as individuals. Now, one thing that uh, was pointed out in the survey is that Plan sponsors were asked, who has got the biggest role in terms of influencing your plan design, such as the automatic enrollment, and et cetera, and the match? And 82% of the time, they selected the plan advisors having the most impact as opposed to internally or the record keeper. So, or the administrator, the TPA. Yep. So having a quality advisor who is focused and has a core specialty in the retirement plan business is very important. Well, in San Diego, there was a statistic that uh, I had once heard. I I don't know if it's deadly accurate or not, but it was that the average, well, what was it? 
80% of plans in San Diego County were held by an advisor who had two or less 401k yeah, right. plans. You're like, what? So they they had a buddy who they played golf with who said, hey, I got a four. I need to start a 401k plan. I Sure, I can do that. And then they go back to their desk. Like, hey, man, how do we do 401k plans? And then they slap something together. Right. And so I think uh, working with somebody who understands the 401k space has a a commitment to that and because there is a really big difference in yeah. plan design and advisors who know how to do this and do it so you really should if you're if you're not working with an advisor who's on top of the game and has several 401k plans and is yeah. in that business it is far more than just picking investments just picking an investment lineup there's so much to ERISA and all the regulations uh, to it that yeah you need someone who's very familiar with the ins and outs and of that. how about prevailing wage and you right. know, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, lots of different things there. Before we started recording, you talked about a couple other things. You know, when we said, "Hey, what's important to bring out?" You mentioned a couple things. Just as far as you know, what did you say? Fund review? No. What, what were you talking about? Well, I, I mentioned a couple of things. You know, the DOL came out a few years ago with a notice on target date funds. Oh and just, yeah, yeah, and saying employers need to do some extra due diligence on them because they're a complex investment. There's a lot of layers to a target date. What's fund. a tar- Target date fund. Uh-huh. So a target date fund is an investment that, you know, 80, 90% of all the inflow, the contributions going into 401k plans in the country are going into target dates. And so they are a fund that, you know, if you're 20 years old, it's going to be more equity and more aggressive. And then as you age and get closer to retirement, it gets more conservative and has more fixed income into it. So it's automatic. The employee doesn't have to worry about it. Doesn't have to make allocation changes, doesn't have to pick seven different funds to make sure they have international and U.S. and large companies and small companies. Exactly. Okay. The the challenge from the employer's point of view is that these are funded funds. So basically, underneath the hood, there's a collection of different mutual funds that are put together to make up this allocation. And some of the challenges are typically, with most of those that are out there, they are all proprietary, meaning that whoever the creator of that fund is, usually the record keeper, it's all their funds. So you mean Fidelity's target date funds have all Fidelity funds in them? Right. And Vanguard and T. Rowe and et cetera. And so how is that good? Because they can't possibly be the best in all spaces, can they? Or? Correct. Yeah. They have some, all of them have some great funds, but then right. all of them have some funds that aren't so great too. Right. Sometimes they get hidden in there. Right. They hide some lower quality funds inside the target date funds just to keep them alive and keep some assets in there and keep their brother-in-law employed at Fidelity as the fund manager making two million bucks a year when his fund stinks and underperforms the market. So what did the, I just say that out loud? You did. Okay. So what, what the DOL, one of the suggestions <laughs> that the DOL suggested that plan sponsors consider is a custom target date fund where you can remove those pieces and you can and put it together in a proper way. Your advisor can customize it over time. The problem with that, of course, is that in the past, that's been primarily only available to the large plan market. I mean, it's not very convenient and easy for a small plan to do that, at least yeah. to date. Yeah, except coming soon, right? Yeah, we'll that's talk right. about that. That's right. We got some good news coming here, right? So we're we are going to talk to you about a new 401k product that's available almost immediately right now. Right. So anyway, but yeah, I think that's a good point you make. You make a great point about these target date funds, which are now holding tons of 401k assets and growing rapidly. Trillions, yeah. And people tend to do better in them because they don't 
go change and pick investments based upon mm-hmm. past performance. Because we know that when participants typically pick funds, they look at the performance sheet and they pick the one that had the best performance and they lop 25% in that. And then they pick the next one that had the right. best. It happens a lot. They can be all large growth funds. Right. So it ends up Holding not the same being thing. a great allocation. So target date funds at least do make a move in the right yeah. direction sure. to getting people properly allocated, diversified, and then slightly more conservative as they approach um, retirement is a great point. They need to be looked at though, because there's also the issue of does the target date, is it targeting the retirement date? So it goes to retirement and then it's ultra conservative at retirement, which is probably not ideal because when most people retire, they still have 20 or 30 years left. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Or does it go through retirement till death? And the difference in that can be a huge allocation change. Yep. And then you have some fund families that are really aggressive with their 2020 mm, fund. And you have some that are really ultra conservative. So you really Huge don't know what you're getting unless you pay a lot of attention to that and have an advisor with an expertise in selecting funds. So you really do need to take a look at your target date funds and make sure they're they're performing and they're accomplishing what you want them to accomplish. Yeah. And another thing with target date funds that we have discussed in the past is that say, for, say you've got two 40-year-olds. Well, they're both going to be put in the exact same allocation within the target date fund. Well, they may not have the same risk characteristics and profiles. One may have a bunch of money saved. One may have no money. One may be aggressive. One may be conservative. Right. Yeah. And also, I think the question of do you have other outside assets needs uh, to be incorporated in that? Because what if you have $5 million from a trust or who knows what? Right. Or a bunch of real estate on the side. Mm-hmm. You may need to save less aggressively to right. to reach your goal. You may not need to take that much risk. And I love the concept of taking the least amount of risk possible mm-hmm. and achieve your goals and Absolutely. objectives. Why subject yourself to the stress of market volatility and sleepless nights wondering how your portfolio is doing, which tend to cause behavioral blunders if you don't have to. So, all right. So we're 25 minutes in. I think yep. we've given some outline of some things that are going on here and I, action items. Number one, we have a 401k challenge. It is called our $100 401k challenge for any non-clients of ours. If you want us to provide you a benchmark review of your 401k plan, we will do that if we cannot make measurable, big, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Measurable, significant, huge improvement in your 401k plan. We're going to send you $100 just for your trouble. Thanks. If we can, we'll probably show you how to save much, much more than $100. So we want you to take us up on that. And you can always reach the team at 877-707-8889. But I also want to say in closing, one of the things that we've worked hard on, Kent, over the last, uh, how long has it been? Four or five months at least. Yeah. We are figuring out a way, and we have figured out a way to bring together a 401k offering that gives you basically the benefits of being in a multiple employer plan or a big group collaboration because it's going to give you low cost, unbelievable asset management, low cost funds, custom target date funds, Mm -hmm. a lot of different features and things that typically are not available or make it hard for the advisor to deliver. And the advisor has to manage all these different record keepers and TPAs. So we've put this together and I think it's going to be a pretty special product, Smart Index 401k, that allows participants to get customized target date funds, great performance, low cost. It allows plan sponsors to be very efficient and effective at how they manage their plan. What else would you say about it? About the custom? Yeah, about about Smart Index 401k. 
I would say that it's, in my view, from what I've seen, unique in the marketplace. It's it's kind of that mashup of different things that just have not existed in one offering, and we've brought it together right. to bring it into one single, simple, easy-to-use offering. Where the, the TPA who's involved in every plan one way or another, the advisor who's involved in a plan most often, and the record keeper involved have all come together to make it very simple, streamlined. And the most important thing, I think, is fully disclosed transparent. Mm-hmm. You pay what you pay. You know what you're paying for. You get what it's It's just transparent and straightforward, similar to our individual private client practice. I think we've transcended that across the lines into the 401k business, which is going to be, uh, I think, a powerful tool for a lot of plan sponsors. Absolutely. So if you haven't reviewed your plan, ask yourself the question, when was the last time that you really took a look at, you know, what is my match? What is the most effective match that we could have? Does it work for my company? Do you know the cost of your 401k? If I were to ask you, what's the cost of your 401k? How much does it cost? Unfortunately, most people have no clue. (laughs) So it's a great time. Now's an excellent time in summer before the benefit season hits to take a look at your plan and and have it reviewed. And certainly uh, we can do that for you. But if, if you don't have uh, labor them, do it for you. Please get someone who is an expert in this area to take a look at your plan. You should have that done on a regular basis. Agree. Okay, cool. We want to thank you so much for tuning into Financial Detox, this edition of the 401k and defined contribution plan space. We're always available to answer your questions, point you in the right direction, help you review your plan, take our $100 401k challenge. You can do that by simply calling 877 707 8889. That's 877-707-8889. We have some great sponsors that help make the podcast available for you. And we are going to continue putting this podcast out on a regular basis. We hope you enjoy it. Thank you to our sponsors. Hi, this is Jason Labram, your host of Financial Detox. One of our partners, J.R. Phillips at the J.R. Phillips Group is the man who can help you with real estate. He's your local North County source for all things real estate. For over 13 years, he's built a business built on trust and referrals where the client always comes first and comes before the commissions. You can check out J.R. Phillips online at thejrphillipsgroup.com. That's thejrphillipsgroup.com or give J.R. a call at 866 883 6065. Once again, that's 866-883-6065. Hello. Hey, it's Mark Robertson from Caliber Home Loans. If you're like a lot of my clients, you probably have been led on into a mortgage by a super low rate that didn't exist. I've been doing loans here in San Diego since 2001, and I differentiate myself by giving everybody a, a straight story from the very beginning. If you're somebody who appreciates a very transparent approach and you don't want the smoke and mirrors that comes with the mortgage industry, I'm your guy. You can reach me at 858-401-9353. Again, it's 858-401-9353. And we'll catch it on the next show. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about the Financial Detox Podcast and to get access to today's show notes, transcript, and resources mentioned, visit financialdetox.com. And if you liked what you heard, be sure to hit that subscribe button. That way, you'll automatically get notified about upcoming podcasts. Thanks again for being part of our community and for taking one more step towards financial independence. The content of this podcast is provided for informational purposes only. 
and should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell any types of securities. Mr. Labrum and Labrum Wealth Management are not responsible for the consequences of any decisions or actions taken as a result of information provided in this podcast and do not warrant or guarantee the accuracy or completeness of the information provided. The information discussed today reflects the views of Mr. Labrum and his guests as of the date of this show and are subject to change without notice. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Any forward-looking statements or forecasts are based on assumptions and actual results may vary from any such statements or forecasts. No reliance should be placed on any statements or forecasts when making an investment decision. Accordingly, listeners should not rely solely on the information provided today in making any investment decision. There is a risk of loss from investing in securities, including the risk of loss of principal. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that any specific investment will be profitable or suitable for a particular investor's financial situation or risk tolerance. Asset allocation and portfolio diversification cannot assure or guarantee better performance and cannot eliminate the risk of investment losses. 